Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have one of my friends. I'm really glad she stopped by the show. Not only is she brilliant, and although we're on different sides of the aisle, sometimes we actually find ourselves to be thinking more like these days because the world is going fucking insane. Um, and she's also so fashionable, but none other than the Essie Cup. What's happening? How are you? What an intro. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm happy <laughs> to be here with you. First of all, what's going on? How's life? How's the new year treating you? Life is fine. Um, any any hopes that 2023 would would normalize after a few insane years? Out the window, gone, out the window. Just <laughs> yeah, buckle we, up. We're going to get to some of that insanity real quick, but we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. And you've been a commentator for some time, but help listeners understand how you got to where you are. What was your first job in politics and in media? Um, and walk us from that role to what you're doing now. Well, I, when I went to college, um, was an art history major, super useful sitting on a, I'm sitting on a pile of art history money. Um, no, but it didn't matter because what I did in college was I worked at the college newspaper and that's where I decided, you know, I was going to be a writer for my life. That, that was where I really got my degree. And so when I left college, I went after writing jobs and I got, I got a few and I ended up um, settling in at the New York times where I was for eight years. During that time, I wrote a book on the side about politics and really only because 9-11 had happened in my backyard. Uh, I really hadn't planned on writing about politics at all. And when Simon & Schuster published that, they put us on TV to, to promote it. And so I did Morning Joe, I think was my first hit. And then, you know, the calls kept coming in, man. Like, you know, I was unsigned. So CNN would call and Fox would call and you could, I could go anywhere. So I did because it promoted the writing and all I wanted was more writing jobs. And, and I got those and I wrote another book and I got a, a column that I've had now for more than a decade at, at the New York daily news, but the TV kind of just became a permanent foundation under which I would do all this other stuff. And as for politics, I, I came up like I said, really post 9-11 in center-right politics back when things like national security and fiscal responsibility and austerity, that's what appealed to me. And those are all the things that have been jettisoned now in favor of crappy culture wars. So, you know, I, I don't even recognize today's today's party, and it's certainly not what drew me into movement politics. Um, but you know, I was your, I was like a regular at CPAC in my twenties. I was like a Buckley nerd, you know, I mean, a totally different than what's animating the party now. So that's the, that's the long and short of it. I want to hop right in. Cause you've been, you've been kind of vocal, I guess, recently about some of the issues going on, but, but I, I this isn't even really on my outline to discuss with you today, but I got to talk about it. T tell me about how someone like Santos gets elected in either party. I mean, how does this fundamentally, the, people want to know. I mean, it, it's it's very difficult to commit this level of fraud and find yourself as one of the 535 most important politicos in the country. Is, is it not? Yes and no. I mean, you'd think it'd be hard to do that and become president, and yet someone did. Yeah, facts. 
um, lying about his biography, his resume, exaggerating, inventing. I mean, this was sort of a Trump blueprint. I think George Santos has taken it to sociopathic kind of levels. I mean, almost comical if it weren't um, so like dangerous having someone like that with any amount of, of power in Congress. But, and I think George Santos is a uniquely um, absurd kind of, kind of, kind of figure, but how we get here is people, particularly in my party, um, started prioritizing other things. You know, once you elected Trump, and this is why people like me in 2015 were like, do not go down this road. This will be bad. But once you decided Trump was okay, then you had to decide that lying was okay, like habitually. Mm -hmm. Um, That morality didn't really matter anymore. Character didn't matter. Integrity. The party made that bargain. Mm -hmm. And they lied to themselves and said, well, we don't like that stuff. We're here for the the other stuff, but it wasn't, Trump wasn't a cafeteria where you could just pick and choose what you wanted. You got all of him and you owned all of him. And so for my party, this is not just how George Santos got elected. It's how Trump got elected. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, um, Herschel Walker nearly got elected. When you turn off the thing that says, well, our leaders should be um, smart they should be honest. They should have integrity. They should have some kind of moral compass, even yeah. if they fail at it sometimes. Once you turn that off, anything goes, man. Anything goes. Because the only thing you care about is putting a seat, a, a butt in the seat. And the butt can be any any asshole, like literally. And it was. So is there any chance that this party um, sees 2023 and 2024 as an opportunity to break away from Trump and make the most of it? Can you break the I, Trump Why seat? would they? It's not just, and I, you know, I have to talk about this all the time, right? It's a central, the central question confronting the Republican Party. Um, I don't know why they would, other than like the reasons you and I would say, because Trump is a loser and he keeps losing right. things for the party. That's the obvious practical reason you would. This is not a practical party. And Trumpism is still very much alive. So it's not just do we dump Trump, then you have to then you have to dump his voters and be willing to say, we want to be a party that says no to white nationalists, to um, anti-Semites, to racists, to bigots, to, to sexists. We want to say no to all of that. Conspiracy theorists, QAnon, you're not welcome in this party. And that's what they've not done. They've, they've said, we'll take any voters, no matter what they look like and what they sound like. Uh, and that, you know, no surprise you get candidates like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and and the rest of them. And you're going to get more voters like that. And instead of saying this is corrosive for the party and it's going to shrink the party, they've said, well, it'll shrink, but it'll condense. And we want the purest voters and the purest candidates and we want them all to talk and look the same. Um even if it means kicking other good conservatives like Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney out, like even at the expense of having there, what was conservatives. I mean, is, am I seeing this right? It wasn't their uh, conservative bona fides or bona fides, excuse me. Uh, but it was just their, their sin was saying that we're going to extricate ourselves from Donald Trump. Is that their only sin? It was their only sin. They vote both of those people in particular voted 
very conservatively, especially Liz Cheney, um, their sin was wanting to hold Trump accountable, not even extricate him from the party, just hold him accountable while he was president. Um, and that was the ultimate sin because policies and principles don't matter anymore to this party. Um, that's it. It's the loyalty. And so they're, they seem to be double and tripling down on Trumpism. They have to get, they have to say no to the voters and they can't, they know they can't do that if they ever want to win an election again. I think people like Kinsinger and Cheney said, I'm going to sacrifice my reelection to do the right thing. And, you know, the party as a whole doesn't want to do that. I mean, you're starting to see, and I'm not, maybe you can help me dissect this, not starting to see, but you're seeing a continuation of, but you see things like book bans. Yeah. Um, You saw the AP uh, Black Black History in Florida. You've seen banning TikTok from government phones and and things of that sort are on government devices. This seems to be where Republicans are in terms of policy initiatives. Why is that? I mean, we don't, you, the, the reason that you joined the Republican Party does not seem to be the focus of the Republican Party today. Am I missing the point or does that make sense? No, you're completely on the point. And, you know, a person that is drawn to this party because of book bans, uh, banning certain classes, banning banning information, banning access to information, access to voting in some cases, banning abortion and reproductive rights. I say that as someone who's pro-life, um, the person that's attracted to that is not really attracted to like political principles. Correct. They're attracted to the Reality. punitive nature of this party. And look, that's a lot of folks. I'm alarmed by how many young people are lining up behind like the Charlie Kirks and the Matt Gateses, and that sort of nationalist wing of the party because they think it's cool and they don't like wokeism, you know, quote unquote wokeism. And they think that's where like the energy is. Um, That's really alarming. And then if you're someone like me who wants some common sense fiscal austerity in government, I like small government. I don't like it when it's huge and sweeping and out of control. Um, You want a strong national defense. You want free trade. where do I go? Because I, you know, no offense, I don't go to the left either, but I definitely don't go to the right. I'm not in a minority. Most people no. on issues like abortion and guns and immigration are pretty much in the middle and we are homeless. We are completely without representation right now. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity 
on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. So what's your take on the McCarthy leadership elections and what should Americans expect out of a McCarthy speakership? Because personally, I don't expect much, but I, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on it. And you, do you know Kevin? I know Kevin. I, you know, I came up with the young guns. Um, <laughs> you don't expect much. I don't expect it to last for long. Like, I just don't expect, <laughs> I don't expect it him to like last. sounds like an article date. That's what this sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> Bakari. Bakari, we're parents. Um, yeah. No, yeah. I when someone asked me a while ago, like, do you think uh, McCarthy will get elected speaker? I said, Yeah, but not for long, because I I know these people. I know yeah. this, you know, Republican House. And he he sank himself with that concession to allow like one idiot to stand up and say he's gotta go. Motion to vacate. Um, So I just don't think he'll have a lot of power. In fact, I think he'll be one of the most inconsequential speakers we've had in modern history. I mean, would anybody ever imagine when you look at those young guns, it was Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Wasn't there one more? No, it was those three. Those three? Yep. That two are just completely done with politics. One of his own making. Paul just kind of said, I'm tired. And then Kevin McCarthy is the weakest of the week. And has always been. I mean, Kevin was always more sort of craven in his ambition. I think Paul, who I know, um, you know, really cared about policy and was really alarmed when 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 people around him stopped caring about policy because he was very much a policy wonk. And listen, Eric was Cantor was um, kind of he was like a logistics guy, you know, he, he much more. Facts and figures and like he, he cared about policy, but didn't necessarily like the campaigning or the politics. Like he didn't like the process. Right. I think that's right. I think that's right. And so when, you know, things got a little gross, he was like, I'm gone. I'm going to the private sector. I'm going to work, you know, work for some finance guys. Um. So, yeah. And it's but it's just it's so much has changed. And I think a very short period of time. Um, it's been incredibly disorienting, you know, to really see a party you thought you knew really well. I mean, I worked on the 2012 autopsy mm. and the things we were working on then, I, it's laughable to talk about now because the party's mm. interests have changed so so much. Let's talk about the Republican presidential nomination. Um, Trump has announced, um, but his campaign is leaving a lot to be desired. Um, what that- campaign? Yeah, no. Is that because it's early or because there's actually no campaign? I mean, explain your autopsy or your view of this Trump candidacy so far. Well, listen, I think he wants attention. (laughs) Oh, you think? (laughs) Right. I think first and foremost, it's attention. And, you know, coinciding with the Mar-a-Lago documents raid, like he can... He can effectively position himself as a victim again to his fans, right? He's a victim of the deep state uh, uh, and a a thing he created, right? For like moments like this, like this one. Um, And so, I mean, I just think that feels too good for him to deny himself. But I mean, also, I think he's using a potential presidency and certainly the campaign as a shield 
to protect him from some investigations because if he's if he's running then he knows doj and other entities won't want to look too political so, so there's some of that going on and listen he wouldn't be crazy to think he could still you know win the nomination so i mean i think he wins the nomination i mean i right now i think i think that if 15 people run for nomination and you all have not changed your Republican Party primary process because it's it's winner takes all. Um, and so I think that if 15 people run and he still has a quarter of the base, doesn't that math mean he's the That's it. quarter of the base is all he needs. <laughs> right. Exactly. How does yeah. a how does a indictment, um, whether or not it's for classified documents or down in Georgia, how do how do Republican voters respond to a Trump indictment? Does that make him more or less attractive? And I honestly don't know what Republican voters are going to make of him. I don't think they care. I don't think they would care um, because the party no longer has a wing that cares about that kind of stuff or is embarrassed by that, you know, ashamed of that, alarmed by it even. Um, so I don't think they care in a very similar way. And I'm this is not um, equating it just reminds me, like, because we're talking about Biden's documents issued, too, now in the news, and they're very different. But I also don't think Democrats right. care that much. Republicans do, and they're going to make a big deal about it, about it. And listen, we need to find out what happened there and why there are so many documents. You know, my so many only, places. I will go back. One of my only questions about those documents, because I, I think that they're vastly different situations. But yeah. how does a member of the United States Senate walk out with classified documents that's a question because don't they usually look at them in the skiff in a skiff i mean we had adam kinzinger on recently talking about just how like um seriously people are watching you in these skiffs to and make sure, sure you're not like taking notes let alone taking the, documents Ernie's statement was weird because i'm not sure if he was saying that the classified documents were from that time or right. some of the notes that they took were right. from that time so i it was it was unclear I think the good, the, like the bottom line in all of this is we voters should find out more about the process of being able to take classified documents out and and maybe buttoning that down a bit. But but my 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 only point is I don't, you know, Trump voters don't care about indictments or anything like that, and I don't think Democrats are all that worried that like Joe Biden is somehow a terrible person for ending up with these documents. I don't think they're like questioning whether or not he should run. But I mean, you you might disagree on your yeah, side I, of the street. I, I am somebody who says that Joe Biden has every right to run. And if I had a record as such as him, I probably would be running. However, my dad was 70 years old, 72, and they told him he was too old to be, the doctor said you were too old to be a college president of 800 students. Whew. So it's kind of tough for me to say that somebody's going to actually take on a campaign at what, 83 years old, 84 years old. That just this like is, I mean, and this isn't probably why you had me on to talk about it, but I'm taking advantage of having you in front of me because you're so smart on this. Like I, this is what I don't understand. There's that part, the age, but also I feel like Biden was elected to be a transitional president, not a transformational one. And that's okay. Like Democrats don't need to be embarrassed by the fact that they might be ready to move on from him. He did the job. So what, I mean, do you think that they should start looking at other folks or is it just that there are no other folks no i think there there are a lot but i mean campaigns usually tell you who's more suited i mean you, that i like the presidential campaign factor i think that if it's trump versus biden biden wins again but i think if it's biden versus new then new wins whoever yeah. that new 
is. Which brings me to my next question for you, because I am sitting here and you see my picture of the South Carolina State House behind me. And I sat beside her. We saw a soft launch of Nikki Haley's presidential campaign last week, the former governor of my great state, uh, state house member and ambassador to the UN. I told everybody who would listen a while ago, I think her political skills are second to none. Hmm. She's, she's a awesome when it comes to that, which also means she doesn't necessarily believe in anything sometimes. Hmm. But what do, you, what do you think? Is she a challenger to Trump or is this just blowhard? Anyone, I'd say this of anyone, and I agree, Nikki Haley's very talented, um, and I liked her a lot, uh, but I would say this of anyone, you have got to be prepared to take Trump on in ways I, I don't know that any of them are prepared to, because they're too afraid, of not of him, but of losing his voters, and you have to do it in a way that also... I mean, it's it's such a trick. And obviously, 17 other Republicans couldn't do it in 2016. And, you know, Trump is still leading the polls. He's beating like DeSantis, Pence, everyone else combined. But, but, you know, because you were going, you just walked into my next question. But where does Pence fit in all of this? I mean, nowhere. nowhere. I love it. I call it like the group of Mikes because it's like Mike Rogers, Mike Pence, Pompeo. Pompeo. I think Mm -hmm. what together they get 6% of the vote. Together they make maybe. Half of a mic that could actually compete, but <laughs> no, Mike Pence has no road to victory here because he's got no natural constituents. You know, the folks that Mike Pence would need to win, well, we already know how they feel about him. They yelled it on January 6th, they wanted to hang him. Yes. And then the other folks like me, well, we're disappointed that he carried Trump's water for six years now. So there's no one left for Mike Pence to get, um, in my, in my opinion. So I don't think he has much of a victory, uh, path either, but listen, it's hard to imagine anyone being able to get voters in the numbers that Trump already has them. I just can't see it. One of my final substantive questions, I'll get to the most important questions coming up, but final kind of substantive questions is where do you see Democrats going wrong? And by that, I mean, it's pretty clear to me that extremism will be the name of the game for Republicans for some time. And sometimes I think on the left, um, we do see extremism even running amok on our side. But what do you think or where do you think the sweet spot is? And if you had advice for national Democrats, what would it be? I, I think Democrats can underplay issues that really are affecting a lot of a, pe- a lot of people and Republicans go cartoonishly to the overreach on these issues but like immigration crime um and the economy are really important issues to a lot of people and I I hear sometimes an unwillingness to really confront just how serious big important those issues are and how broken those issues are and maybe Democrats have a have some role in wanting to change that or or um improve that and i just think that's a huge mistake and you don't i mean you don't have to accept all the republican bullshit mm-hmm. um and the conspiracy theories and the and the baiting to just acknowledge yeah the economy is not great and joe biden during the midterm saying we're stronger than ever does not help you does not resonate with a lot of people People saying like that Republicans invented crime as an issue in New York City. I, 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 I work there every day. It's not an invention. It's real. 
and people feel it. And so there's just, I don't think it's a huge thing. It's like a tweak for Democrats to not be so dismissive of some issues that might might fall on their doorsteps a little more than Republican doorsteps. It goes a long way to acknowledge them and then say, here's what we're going to do about them. But I really think that's that's the main thing I, I saw, especially in the midterms. And I saw it a bunch, you know, in 20, um, 2020, 2020 as well. Yeah. 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 What are you working on now? I know you're on CNN all the time. What other projects do you have? Oh, I'm working on another book um, and, you know, trying to keep my sanity in an in an age where I mean, I, you know, I'm joking, but also not. Um, when, <laughs> like, when, did you, when did your book come out? Or have you gotten that far yet? Yeah, that's TBD, TBD. Um, but, you know, with the state of the world politically and socially, culturally, um, I think it's hard for a lot of people to like put the brakes on all the anxiety that comes out of all of this stuff. And watching the news can be really hard sometimes because it's a lot and it doesn't feel like there are a lot of solutions looming on the horizon. Like, how is this going to be solved? This keeps me up at night. So, you know, really just trying to put it all in perspective and well, like have kids, Essie, we got to solve this shit before we turn it over to them. Right. Well, exactly. Or at least raise them to 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 want to invest in policy and politics yeah. and not just abandon it because it's so so garbage. How can people follow you and keep up with everything that is Essie? Well, I'm Essie Cup on Twitter for now. I seek up on Instagram. I'm on CNN um, all the time. And then I've got a nationally syndicated column every week. So you can look it up and I'll tell you what I'm thinking every single week. <laughs> well, that's how you feel. Essie Cup, I love you very much. Thank you for being a good friend of me and a friend of the show. Kiss your amazing husband and that beautiful, beautiful boy you have. I hope all is well. Thanks for having me, Bakari. Great to see you. <laughs>